talking about that. You seem to be saying that when people disagree with you to the deepest marrow of your bones, that you, uh, you would take us out of the United Nations because of the ranting Arabs, and now you would not let a teacher teach out there. It's the business of the faculty to deal with him. It's the difference. Uh, I mean, I think it's important that we have a forum where all nations can express themselves, even though you don't like what they say. Israel oh, has benefited well, hugely over the years. I, I, I don't think our Senate, uh, Al, is ready to take us out of the United Nations. No, I'm not ready to take us out of the United Nations, well, but I no, do. Arnold was. I don't think he really you is. Didn't hear me say yeah. that. I don't think he is. Let, let me suggest that uh, uh, I'm, I'm deeply saddened because we lose Gene Kirkpatrick, a, a clarion voice, and I don't mean that, and uh, certainly to, to say that whoever's going to succeed here, the, the good general, isn't going to do an outstanding job. But, I mean, she focused in with clarity so that everyone, Jew and non-Jew, could follow the message. Uh, the fact that the Soviets uh, and their little minions are behind so much of this propaganda. The fact, by the way, we come a long way, and I, and I can't help but think that without, with, with, without Gene's presence, we wouldn't have begun to move out of UNESCO, and half of the people in our country don't know why. And let me tell you, there was a good deal of anti-Semitism being conducted by UNESCO, and here we're pouring in tens of millions of dollars. No, I think we've got to stand on these issues and call our allies uh, to account. Um, and there was a good deal of this anti-Semitism that's wrapped up into the UN and day in and day out activities generated against the United States and against Israel, and they're interwoven. And uh, I do believe uh, that you bring this to the fore. The Soviets cannot stand the light of day in terms of the way they treat their citizens, the way they, they persecute Jews, the way they persecute uh, uh, Catholics. They don't like that. And I think that there is where we've got to put the spotlight, and we haven't done nearly enough uh, if, if we're going to begin to change things. I'd suggest that the, the Saudis and others don't like us penetrating and, and focusing in on the shortcomings in terms of human rights. Uh, they become very secretive and, and, and withdraw, and I think that's the great strength that this country has, that we've exercised here within, but somehow we fail to bring that and use that voice. We have others telling us why our relationships with certain dictators uh, shouldn't be permitted. Somehow it seems to me that what we failed to do is use that same moral logic and purposefulness in directing it at those kinds of virulent, tyrannical activities conducted by the Soviets and conducted by others and uh, by the Arabs and the warlords, uh, where it is someone who may not be a traditional ally of the United States. And our papers are quiet about it, our media is quiet about it, the spotlight of the world isn't put in, I think we should use it. Well, why is so little attention paid in American newspapers and magazines to the situation in Spain, that radical neo-fascist group there, and uh, France, Penn, and Germany, and Italy, and uh, Switzerland? Which way it turn? Well, I have a theory, which I'm not sure uh, the New York Times will be delighted to hear. Uh, I think that. Uh, to the New York Times, which is a great newspaper and maybe the greatest newspaper in the world, uh, is really the source of most news in this country. If you will recall the 1978 newspaper strike in this town, if you watched uh, television news, you always got uh, several different confused versions of the story because they didn't have the New York Times to rely on for the basic approach. Uh, and that was true even with the Washington Post, which is a great newspaper, and other newspapers around the country. When the New York Times was not publishing, the approach, the lead, the attitude 
was missing. And the New York Times attitude is to hold up under very close scrutiny the behavior of this country, the behavior of Israel, the behavior of our Western allies, because they hold us up to our own professed standards. I mean, if you talk to the editors there, they'll tell you that. While those other countries, what do you expect of them? You know, why should we waste a lot of time you on what the Soviet Union is right doing? You put on the nub of the problem. We've got a dual standard that works against, really, rooting out of these kinds of evils, discrimination, persecution. Persecution not only of Jews, Jews and non-Jews. And because, as Howard has said, well, we expect the United States and her allies to come this line, and we don't expect anything less. Well, if you never expect anything less, I don't care whether it's with an ally or with a child in our own experience, if you don't challenge him and call him to account, they're going to continue the persecution, and they're going to continue bigotry, and they're going to continue the most virulent behavior. And I think we've got to get a change in that attitude. And the interesting thing is that there's even a distinction between the way they deal with the United States and Israel on the one hand, which are held up to the highest standard, and the way they will deal with others of the Western allies, which are held up to a high standard, but not quite so high. And what Arnold said before about demanding of our allies that they stand up and fight in the United Nations and not just kind of abstain while Gene Kirkpatrick takes the lead and the Israeli representative, uh, whether it was Yehuda Bloom or Ben Netanyahu now, uh, you know, kind of have a beleaguered uh, battle to fight. Uh, that's a very good point, but you are not going to get the media to take that up because they really see us as having that uh, battle to fight because that's our standard for ourselves. And these others, well, they're compromisers. The way Frenchmen are. It's a view, and it's, I, I think it's a dreadful view. I'm not that's condoning it. I'm simply describing it. It's a kind of discrimination in the form of admiration. That's right. And that, that's, that happens to women also. The, the gentle sex and all kinds of moral qualities are imputed as part of a discriminatory pattern. But if you look at even at Lebanon and compare the press reaction to what Arabs have done to other Arabs and then what the, what the Israelis did when they were there, there's, there's no comparison. That would be a very good study to, to see done in detail that a tremendous amount of slaughter is being justified now uh, that would not be justified for being done by the Israelis. And the the study's been done. It's called a double standard. Yeah, that's right. that's, that's the world has one standard for Israel and a totally different standard for itself. Yeah. No, but the media attack on the way Israel performed in Lebanon, compare it with the kind of silence you have about the way the Soviets are performing in Afghanistan. I mean, it's extraordinary. The Israelis were justified in what they uh, you know, in their goal in Lebanon, uh, the uh, stories of uh, injuries and, and those who were killed were grossly exaggerated. Uh, you go on and on. I mean, those studies have been done. But what's going on in Af Afghanistan right now, as some of our commentators have begun to point out, is systematic and deliberate genocide. And yet you do not have anything like the focus on it. In or in media. Bangladesh, or in Cambodia, right. or in Ethiopia, or in Iran. And you, the list is endless. Right. And the world doesn't seem to pay any attention to it in or out of the United well, Nations. Well, isn't that a shortcoming now? And uh, there I go again. I, I, this is going to get me in deep trouble. But isn't it really a shortcoming in terms of our uh, news coverage? Uh, would you say that because they set a double standard, which really takes a, bl a blase attitude to the most incredible slaughter, genocide uh, in, in Afghanistan, the most incredible wars uh, that have been waged in Cambodia and uh, Vietnam and what they do to people. And somehow we, we say, well, we, we understand that goes on. 
I don't think our people really get the facts. Maybe some, uh, uh, some editorial chiefs get some of these things that come back to them, but do doesn't the American public and, and the world at large have the right? And we are the leaders. We set the opinions and the standards uh, for our allies as well. And when we begin to focus in and put attention on something, you'll find that others that will also be looking. Um, and I, I just, it just seems to me that we're missing the incredible opportunity to begin to demonstrate to our people what is going on. So many things that we do take for granted. I, I, I wish that our youngsters had an opportunity to see what's taking place in other places of the world. They'd have a deeper appreciation for their religion, for this country, for the freedoms that it offers, and for that which we seek for others. Okay, Howard Squadron. I just wanted to comment about the reason why the uh, news doesn't reach the public, uh, as Senator D'Amato quite properly pointed out. We are dependent in this country today largely on television news. As you know, uh, the newspapers around the country have been going out of business at an alarming rate. Almost every town in this country is now a monopoly newspaper town with very little emphasis on foreign news altogether. There are about 20 uh, cities that still have two newspapers and only three cities that have three newspapers on a daily basis. So that, and, and that, and they are all struggling, the ones where there is competition. What happens is that in the television news, you only show what you can show in a 30 second bit with a visual. So if there is an enormous battle in, uh, between Iraq and Iran and thousands of people are killed and they can't get a camera in there, you don't see anything. Whereas if there's a fire in Brooklyn and some mother is lamenting uh, because a child was caught in the fire, you'll get two minutes at the head of the news. Now, what has that resulted in in terms of the coverage of what we're talking about? When, Lebanon, when the Lebanon operation went on, the cameras were there. And there was an enormous coverage with enormous criticism. When the Falkland Islands event occurred, the cameras were not there. So there was no coverage. In Afghanistan, you can't get a camera. And although they, at now they are finally beginning to say, well, at least let's cover it from Pakistan. At least let's talk to the refugees. Let's talk to the freedom fighters who come in and go back. They are still not able to get the story the way television likes to present it. The result is that unless television changes its approach to the news, you are not going to change the situation. I think that's most unfortunate. I, I mean this as a criticism of the way television reports the news. I think I, I always used to feel that when Walter Cronkite, whom I did revere, ended the news by saying that's the way it is, he should have more honestly said that's the way we've decided to tell you that it is. And I think there is a tremendous superficiality. When there is a little glare attached to something like Ethiopia, there's a response. I'm afraid it's a spasmodic response. But before Ethiopia was publicized, 43,000 children a day on planet Earth were dying from the lack of minimal food and basic medicines. It was not noticed. And I'm afraid that when the, when the focus comes, it comes for a short term. We're partly responsible for that. We're an international agent in the economy, and we're partly responsible for the death of those children every day. Who wants to hear about that? I mean, these are things that are threatening. So in a sense, we can't beat up just on the media. The media are giving folk what folk want, and folk don't want the bad news that might affect their privileges. I think you're too nice. First of all, I don't want to badmouth television too much, but I don't think television is a it. news medium at all. I think it's a, the newscasts are simply headlines, nothing more. The newspapers don't have that excuse. The Lebanese situation to which Howard deferred was a situation in which the American press so distorted what actually happened there 
with all the license that they had, all the privilege that they had from Israel to bring in their cameramen, their newspapermen, etc. I was there. I was there during the Vietnam War. I didn't see the carnage that I read in the American papers existed there. I didn't see the proper application of the word Warsaw Ghetto or genocide. And those were the words that were bandied about on television and in the general press. I went through Damour, I went through Tyre, I went through Sidon. I had to find the pockets that were destroyed. But to read the American press or to have watched television would lead you to believe that death and destruction were all over the place. When I got to Beirut, I was amazed to see that Beirut was standing. It's been standing even to this day, despite the damage that the Lebanese and the Syrians themselves in their internecine warfare are now carrying on. The picture that we got in the United States through the American media of communication was as wrong as anything could be. And I don't excuse either television or the American press but for it. But coming back to anti-Semitism, Arnold, don't you think that a large part of what went on there was this attitude of gotcha? Here you are, Israel. You hold yourself up as a light unto the nations. You set up this standard, which we are prepared to hold you to, even though we hold nobody else to it. And you went ahead and you did some destruction, not the kind of destruction that was described. But weren't they just delighted? And wasn't that an expression of anti-Semitism? Sure. First they had to exaggerate it. Who's then they? they had to uh, wait, spank wait Israel. Who's they? I'll tell you who they are. The, they are those who believed that Israel had no right to go in and take the PLO out, so to speak. There were those who believed that Syria had a right to control Lebanon and that Israel had no right to defend its borders. There were those who said that when Israel found a virtual army in the PLO, not just guerrilla warfare, that they had no right to try to destroy that PLO army. That's who they are. And Howard said it correctly. On the other side of the line, if a newspaper reporter was anti-Arab, he got himself kidnapped or killed. There were five newspapermen killed from the outside world on the Arab side. The PLO had the press coward. On the Israeli side, there was no such thing. They were free to report so that you had a major imbalance. That's who they are. I have to pause with that. I don't want to get bogged down in this, but you were leaving out a whole host of considerations. There was an understanding between Israel and the United States that they would go just so far. Israel and had no understanding with anybody except itself to go in and wipe out the PLO. It believed that it went in 25 miles and cauterized it, and at a cordon sanitaire, they would have been safe. But what happened is when they got there, they found armies of tremendous and awesome size and power which were standing and confronting them, and there was no way they could turn around and walk out. They had to try to destroy that PLO army, and that PLO army was not destroyed in the final analysis because it was saved by certain powers that will go unnamed in Beirut. But 